Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we began a review of the testimony of Dr. Stephen Simring, the key defense expert witness who offered evidence supporting the claim that the defendant is not guilty by reason of insanity. On today's installment, we continue our look at the defense's direct examination of Dr. Simring. That's all coming up right after the break. 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's mid-morning on April 6, 2022, and defense attorney Edward Belinkus continues his questioning of Dr. Stephen Simring. As we ended our last episode, Belinkus seemed to be straying into a question that would have required the witness to testify about hearsay evidence. Judge Stephen Taylor called for a quick sidebar, and after the conference, the defense counsel rephrased his question for Dr. Simring. Doctor, with regards to the numerous times that Michael Barrison contacted the Washington Police Department and called 911, did you discuss with him his feelings and beliefs with regards to uh, those interactions with the police? Yes. I, not, I did not discuss it with the police. I discussed the reports with Mr. Barrison. And what did Michael Barrison tell you uh, with regards to these numerous attempts to try to... Uh, get the town to assist him. Mr. Barrison said he was scared to death of Lauren Canarac, and he wanted help in any way he could get it, that he had tried everything he knew, calling his lawyer, calling the police, trying to speak directly to Lauren Canarac and her father, Jonathan, speaking to Goodwin, speaking through intermediaries on the farm, but nothing worked. And in the last several days prior to the shooting itself, he implored the police for their help in putting an end to the situation. Okay, focusing specifically just on his contact with the police. What impact did that have on his mental state, if any? Well, Mr. Barrison became increasingly desperate because he saw himself in a situation in which he was being physically threatened by Lauren Canarak and Robert Goodwin. He felt trapped. He felt that there was no way out. Despite the fact that he owned a farm, that he had a reputation, that he had funds, that he had education, he felt that he was uh, unable to do anything to make this situation go away and to get Lauren Canarak to leave. Now, in, in your interviews with Michael Barrison, uh, did you have any difficulty communicating with him uh, at any point? Well, yes, the difficulty I had communicating with him is he went into incredible detail about everything. And it was very hard to pin him down to try to get a trend of what he was thinking. 
he would answer the question and then he would go off on showing me posts that Lauren Cataract did on Facebook with all kinds of fantastic threats, stories about chess games, stories about other people, and it was hard to focus him on what his actual thinking was because he was so preoccupied with Cataract and remained preoccupied even after the shooting and even after his arrest. And he was, was he that same way in each and every meeting that you had? He was. Now, he was worse when I first saw him. I first saw him in, uh, uh, within a month, a little more than a month after the shooting. I then saw him four times in fairly close uh, uh, proximity in April of 2020. So by that time, a year had passed. And um, he had improved a little bit, but he remained focused. And he remained, he wouldn't stop talking about what happened and what Lauren Cataract was doing and what she was still doing. He wouldn't stop writing. He was continuing to demonstrate, to produce documents saying all the things that she did to him and all the things he was afraid that she would do to him. It reached a point where I said to him that I cannot process all this information. Would you please restrict it to 100 pages? I rarely have to do that with somebody, usually with examinees and with patients. I want them to produce everything they can. But with him, I said, I cannot read thousands of pages. I want you to boil this down. And he finally did produce for me a 91-page document with the high points. Now, i show you what is the Mark Defense Exhibit 900E-3. Is this a copy of that yes. document you asked Michael Barrison to produce? Right. This is the 91-page document. Uh, it wasn't numbered, so uh, at, when I reviewed this with you, Mr. Belinkus, we numbered the pages for easy reference. I have my own copy. Okay. Now... Did you review and rely on what's contained in that document in formulating your opinion? Yes, uh, among other things. I, I don't think I ever finished my last question about the materials that I reviewed. Okay, please and, finish. And, and I started by saying I reviewed the Washington Township Police reports, both during the investigation of the shooting itself and the four uh, visits the Washington Township Police made to Mr. Barrison prior to the shootings where he was imploring their help in solving the situation. I reviewed investigation reports by the Morris County Prosecutor's Office. I reviewed reports by local police. I reviewed the indictment, criminal complaint, the search warrant. Uh, I reviewed documents that had to do with trying to obtain, Mr. Barrison was convinced that bugs had been placed, uh, listening devices, had been placed throughout the farm. So he retained a private firm called Bug Sweeps to try to figure out where these bugs were and what they were recording. I obtained uh, medical records, and this had to do with the emergency room visit, the emergency squad that came out to the farm after the shooting, and they took Ms. Canarac to the hospital. They also took Mr. Arison, who had been injured himself in the, in the uh, episode. I read the uh, notes from the emergency responders who were first on the scene to gather their impression of what things were happening. I read the doctor reports from Mr. Canarac and Mr. Barrison. Then finally, I read an extensive file of correspondence, text messages, and social media posts, largely from Lauren Canarac, but others as well. And the bulk of this lengthy pile of documents that you have here have to do with these posts and text messages. Was it brought to your attention that there were over 19,000 pages of, of 
social media posts from Lauren Cataract. Oh, well, yes, that's why I told Mr. Barrison there is no way you're going to get me to read 19,000 pages. I have better things to do. If you want me to do this, you're going to have to boil this down to 100 pages, and then I'll read it. That's pretty unusual, because normally in cases I kind of scrounge for every scrap of relevant material I could get, but there was so much of this stuff. Was Michael Barrison ever able, in any of your meetings with him, to discuss the specific incident with you? Well, he talked about what happened up until the time he jumped into his truck and drove down to the place where Lauren Canarac and Robert Goodwin were residing. He remembered nothing about the incident itself, and then he talked about the aftermath. So as far as the actual incident, he was never able to give you any specific details each and every time you talked to him? That is correct. He gave me no details, and he gave law enforcement no details. concerns? And if so, what did you do to address those concerns? Well, not at all. He got hit on the head, which is probably the most likely reason that he lost memory. Uh, during the confrontation, it happened very quickly, and what happened is not very clear. But one of the things uh, seemed to be that Robert Goodwin hit him on the head with his cell phone, and he suffered a hematoma behind his ear and some other head injuries. That's the most likely reason that he lost his memory. However, your question has more to do with his current fitness to stand trial. Does he remember enough to stand trial? And my answer to that is absolutely, because he can provide the entire background. He can provide details of all the interactions between him, Canarac, Goodwin, uh, and all the other relevant principles, and he can account for what happened afterwards. The fact that he got hit on the head and don't remember the shooting itself does not undermine his ability to stand trial and does not undermine my ability to make a determination about what his mental state was because there was abundant evidence of his mental state leading up to the actual shooting. Now, with, with regards to his inability to recall the specific events, uh, you've indicated that uh, the blows to his head may very well be the, the cause of that, correct? Pro probably. I mean, there's another possibility when people are in periods of high anxiety as he was, he was uh, terrified when he jumped into the car. As far as I could tell, he grabbed a pistol. He owned guns, but he grabbed a pistol, kind of a lady's pistol, a pink pistol, referred to as a lady's pistol, that belonged to his friend, Dr. Ruth Cox. 
and he did it very impulsively, jumped into his car, drove down there, and according to him, he was afraid he'd be killed and wanted to defend himself. Now, when, when people are in states of high anxiety like that, like any, anybody can remember, like being, say, in a car accident or being the victim of a crime, sometimes memory is not completely clear for everything that happens because anxiety is so high. However, I think the most simple explanation is he got hit on the head. Can you say definitively to a degree of medical certainty what the specific cause was, either the head injury or the uh, mental uh, state caused by anxiety? Well, Counselor, as you all know, I can't say anything definitively. Uh, I can offer an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical probability, which means that it's highly likely medically. Uh, I can't testify as to anything at the certainty. Also, there are data missing uh, here about exactly what happened. And, and I read all the witness statements to try to put it all together. I think the most likely explanation for his amnesia is he got hit on the head. And it's well known and well documented that he got hit on the head. I've read reports from Morristown Memorial documenting all of his injuries. I think there is also the possibility that his enormous overwhelming state of anxiety may have affected his memory. That's the best I can tell you. Okay. Now, uh, did you review any documents with regards to Michael Barrison's state of mind immediately after the incident uh, that you relied on in helping you form that opinion that you just testified? Well, yes, there were many observers, mainly the uh, trained observers from the emergency squad, emergency medical services, and everybody described the same thing. He was oriented to person and, and place. In other words, he knew he was Michael Barrison, and he knew that he was on his farm, so he knew that. However, every observer commented that he was confused about what had just happened. Every observer who saw him, there must have been a dozen observers on the scene, in the hospital emergency room, in the emergency bay, at the hospital. Everybody commented that he was confused about what actually happened, and actually to this day, not to this day, but to the last time I saw him in April of 2020, he still did not remember exactly what happened. He remembered what led to it. He remembered having the visitors from Child Protective Services. He remembered jumping into his truck. He remembered being threatened, and he remembered uh, being treated for injuries, but did not remember what happened in between. Now, that's different from knowing who he is or where he is. He did know who he is and where he was. Did you have discussions with Michael Barrison with regards to uh, various social media posts? I had extensive discussions with him about media posts, and the media posts were almost all done by Lauren Canerac. Some of them were old media posts where she had posted uh, comments about other individuals, often very negative comments about other individuals. I discussed that with him. If I can stop you there, Doc. I'm going to show you what has been marked D900E-4, which is social media post from uh, a woman named Staggert and Kat. Judge, I'm going to object. This is what we talked about this morning. I'm getting into the details. Then why are you showing it to him? You're not getting into the details, which the court excluded. Why even show it to him? Doesn't that run the risk of an improper comment? No, because I, I thought you told me I could leave here. Not as to the details. That was part of my ruling this morning. Any details, Judge? All right, go ahead. Just be careful, Doctor. I'm showing you 900E four and five. For the record, there are posts from Cataract to Staggert, 
and from Canarac to Parkinson. Do not say what's contained in here. I've seen these posts. And did you discuss these posts with Michael Barrison? I did. And without discussing the content, how would you describe these posts? Objection. You're asking this doctor's opinion on it? How well, did Michael Barrison yeah, describe exactly. these posts to you without referring to the content? He found them very scary. What effect did those posts, based on your discussions with Michael Barrison, have on his mental state? These were just more pieces uh, of, uh, in a building um, fear that he had of Lauren Canarac. He became increasingly terrified of Ms. Canarac and increasingly terrified of what he believed Lauren Canarac could do to him and to his girlfriend Mary Haskins Gray. And over the time, certainly over the last month or two prior to the incident, he became increasingly terrified of what he regarded as Lauren's power to destroy him, to destroy Mary Haskins uh, Gray, to destroy his farm, to destroy Mary Haskins Gray's family. And these posts were simply more links in, uh, to build up this, this terror. I can't point to any one post and say, this is what did it, but there was an ongoing series of posts which he found increasingly terrifying. And is it your opinion that each and every post, to a certain degree, played a role in his decline of his mental state? Absolutely, it was a build-up. He became increasingly terrified and increasingly paranoid. Discuss with Michael Barrison, Lauren Canarac's post about going to war. Yes. Belinkus then shows Dr. Simmering a series of exhibit documents and asks the witness, Can you review these and tell me if these are some of the posts that you discussed with Michael Barrison with regards to Canarac's posting about going to war? Uh, yes, these uh, the most relevant thing about these posts are they all occurred in late um, uh, July 2019, which is within a couple of weeks of the incident. And what effect did those posts have on Michael Barrison? Uh, there's no single post that I could say did any single thing. It was a buildup and continued to play on his fears. He became increasingly panicky. If you take any one post out of context, you may say, gee, maybe this is a joke, or gee, maybe this is a game. But at this point, he had begun to take these posts extremely seriously and literally and believed that she had power to do all of these things that she was threatening to do in the posts. So with each one, it turned up the ratchet of the pressure, and Mr. Barrison became increasingly distraught, increasingly frightened. Doctor, I'm not going to go over each and every uh, post. Thank God. Did you discuss with Michael Barrison... Uh, the post where Lauren Cataract talked about having... Judge, can I ask that the, the witness not be led? I'm trying not to get... Well, can we be heard at sidebar? After the brief sidebar, Judge Taylor instructs Edward Belinkus to rephrase the question. Belinkus proceeds to show Dr. Simmering a series of social media posts by Lauren Cataract that refer to weapons and guns. After the witness reviews the posts, Belinkus asks the witness... What impact did those posts have on Michael Barrison's mental state? Well, it's the same thing. Uh, first of all, you have to look at the dates of these posts. Some of them are much earlier, in April of 2018. So if some of this goes back 
much before the actual incident. So in the first set of posts, and I won't go into reading any of these things, they're all threatening. They all have to do with guns, they have to do with weapons, with robbery. You know, you could take all of it literally, uh, but all of it has a threatening aspect to it. So the first set of posts, the important thing is, this was April of 2018. This is more than a year before the incident. The second set of posts... Again, Prosecutor Shellhorn objects to the nature of the defense questions, and after a conference out of the earshot of the jury and the recording equipment in the courtroom, Judge Taylor again instructs Edward Belinkus. Mr. Belinkus, proceed in accordance with the court's decision at the bench, please. Doctor, did you discuss with Michael Barrison posts from Lauren Canarak where she talks about mental health issues on her behalf? Yes. Did you discuss with him specific posts that he saw prior to the shooting with regards to Lauren Canarak and her uh, mental health issues. Yes, counsel, as I, I've discussed many of them. After a while, I had to stop the discussion because he would have kept me there all day showing me posts. And it just reaches a point where it's no point. Yes, to your answer, he did discuss specific posts about her mental health and alleged mental health issues. Because I think this is one of the topics I had asked if there could be a limiting instruction about. Yes. <clears throat> I, I, I was going to give some limiting instructions at the end of the testimony before your cross-examination. Or would you rather me give it now? Uh, no, Judge, if you're, if you're inclined to give it at the end. Right, because there's a number of different topics. I don't want to keep interrupting yes. any more than I already have. Understood, Judge. What's necessary. I, I'll give the limiting instructions at the end of the direct about any topics covered that deserve a limiting instruction. And I'll, I'll include it in my final charge as well. Doctor, I'm going to show you Defense Exhibit 200A-77 and 200A-1 and ask you if you reviewed these with Michael Barrison. Well, these back. Did you review those with Michael Barrison? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, the first thing I look at, especially with all these records, is the date is the most important thing. And you've given me... Uh, a handful of messages, some of which were April of 2019, which uh, would have been four months or so before the incident, and the others were a few days before the incident in August of 2019. And did Michael Barrison indicated that he was researching Warren Canarac at any time? Yes. And did he indicate that he was... So the middle object, these are leading questions? Um, I'll allow it in this area, just to get to the point. Did he indicate that he was pulling up all her Facebook posts from previous periods of time? He was. With regards to those ones you have before you, how did those posts affect Michael Barrison's state of mind? He became increasingly panicky. He became obsessed with her posts, preoccupied with her writing, and the more he dug into it, the more panicky he became. At some point in time, uh, did you discuss with Michael Barrison his belief that he was being recorded. Yes. What discussions did you have with Michael Barrison concerning that, and what effect did it have on his mental state? Well, he was being recorded. In fact, he hired, as I testified to the jury earlier, uh, what called a bug sweeping service. Uh, I saw documentation of individual professionals who go around trying to find listening devices, and they did indeed find some listening devices. And in fact, uh, I believe that Lauren Canarac acknowledged placing listening devices. And some of the comments that he made in private 
in his own residence somehow got back to him in terms of a Facebook post or something like that. And he became increasingly anxious and panicky when he saw some of the things he was talking about in the quiet of his home was being put on Facebook, probably through listening devices. That increased his panic and sense of desperation. Following up on the witness testimony about the defendant's fears that his private conversations were being recorded, Edward Belenkis next shows Dr. Simmering a document. Uh, this is a document uh, from USA Bug Sweeps. I guess there is such a profession called bug sweeping. And what they, there's a contract that Mr. Barrison paid $5,000 to this bug sweeping company to check out his rather large property of farm and stables to try to find bugs or listening devices. And they, they followed through on that contract. Now, what effect did that have on Michael Barrison? He got increasingly paranoid. The more he did to try to assure himself, the worse things got. Because the more he investigated, the more he found and the more panicky he got. And nobody seemed to be able to stop it. When I'm saying nobody, I'm talking about his loved ones. Nobody seemed to be able to stop it. Everybody noticed that he was no longer the same person, that he had become depressed, preoccupied, strange, odd. But the, in his own mind, he thought the solution to this was investigating further and further and further. But the more he looked, the worse things got. It was like, like a house of mirrors. Did you discuss with Michael Barrison him hiring a private investigator to do a background check of Canarac and Goodwill. He did. Uh, yet one more, one more futile effort to try to reassure himself. He hired a private investigator who did some kind of background check of Canarac and Goodwin. When I say some kind, <clears throat> I never saw a formal report, excuse me, but mainly uh, they, they found some records in North Carolina. As Edward Belinkis moves to show the witness some of the records from North Carolina, Judge Taylor stops him. He said he never saw the report. He saw this, Judge. He, he just said he never saw the report. Doctor, did you see a background check that Michael Barrison got with regards to cataract and vision? Counselor, I said I never saw a formal report. <clears throat> what I saw are random records of arrests in North Carolina and some comments from the investigator but I never saw a formal report in the sense of a formal investigation. Okay. I'm going to show you 700A1. Is this the informal report that you reviewed with regards? Hey, Mr. Belinkus, he never said he saw an informal report. Is this the report that you... He never said he saw a report. He said he saw random records and comments by the investigator. These are the records he's referring to, I believe. Well, let him answer that. Okay. Answers correct. These are records that have to do with traffic records. You can't okay, discuss, I'm sorry. You can't discuss the content. Are these the records <clears throat> that you reviewed with regards to what was provided to Michael Barrison? Uh, these and a few others. Yes. Now, these records indicate that there were numerous arrests for both individuals. Correct. Just yes or no. I, I don't know how to cate categorize numerous. More than one? More than one, yes, Your Honor. And did you discuss those records and Michael Barrison's uh, beliefs with regards to his review of those records? Y y yes, and his mounting panic 
and these records were more embers in the fire. Did you discuss with Michael Barrison him hiring a person to sit outside of the stable area at night and guard the stable area? He did. I believe that was Larry Davidson. And is that also something that fueled? Well, yes. Everything he tried to do, which on the surface would provide some level of protection against his perception of danger, only increased the danger and made it even worse. Did you discuss what well, Can I see Cal? Again, Judge Taylor, without prompting from the prosecutor, interrupts Edward Belinkus and calls for a sidebar. With that interruption, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrison. Join us on our next installment as we pick up after the sidebar and conclude our look at the direct examination of defense expert psychiatrist Stephen Simring. We will also review Judge Taylor's special limiting instructions regarding the expert witness's testimony. If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison. <laughs>